Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. The COVID-19 pandemic has put a screeching halt to so much. The gig economy, the arts and theater scene, pretty much any social gathering. And it's leaving many institutions scrambling to adapt in the meantime. Among those institutions responding in real time are colleges and universities. Students, along with many others, were not expecting this sudden shift mid-semester. I'm Maxwell Von Depp. I'm a sophomore, and I go to DePaul University. My name is Natalie Metz, and I go to school at University of Illinois. My name is Nick Whistle, and I'm a sophomore, and I go to DePaul University. I was kind of sad because I like being on campus, and... It's also going to be difficult to carry out my classes online because a lot of them require in-class discussion and face-to-face interactions with my peers and our professors. Honestly, I'm a little disappointed because I feel like I'm almost, since we're in a small town in Greencastle, um, and there's not as much of the virus here, especially in Indiana, and I personally live in San Francisco where it's very prevalent, Um, I feel like I'm almost being forced into more of an unsafe situation, if that makes sense. You know, it's a day that nobody ever wants to see coming, especially for the seniors. And people have put in a lot of commitments to the school, especially with extracurriculars and who have really invested themselves. But it's kind of a situation that's out of our control, and you just got to make the best of it at this point. I'm going to miss my friends. So how has COVID-19 been affecting higher education in Illinois? And how are colleges and universities handling the health crisis? I checked in with Kate McGee, WBEZ education reporter, and Robin Kaler, associate chancellor at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. And I started by asking Robin what measures her university has taken to protect its students, staff, and faculty. Well, obviously, we've uh, switched to alternative course delivery methods, and we've told everyone who could uh, either go home to a permanent home safely or work from home safely to do that. Um, those who cannot go home, the students who can't go home and are housed in our residence halls uh, still stay, and we still provide all the services they need. Students who wouldn't have the resources that they need to study uh, if they had to go home are being allowed to stay in the residence halls. Students who don't have the equipment they need, a computer, uh, Wi-Fi hotspot, whatever, uh, we're getting that technology to them and that hardware to them um, as soon as they let us know they need it. And we are asking uh, essential employees who have to be physically on campus uh, to work in very small shifts. So if normally you'd have 100 people on a shift, you might have 20, and they're spread out so that they're not um, having to get too close to any other person. Um, we're serving food that in the residence halls for the students who are still there in it, prepackaged so that there's no um, chance for contamination that way. Um, and then those who cannot work at all, who, whose jobs simply can't be done, uh, we're just telling them to sit tight at home and we're continuing to pay them. And what have you been hearing from, from students? Do they understand why you need to take these actions? Oh, they, sure they do. But, um, you know, as anyone would be, it's, it's a frightening time. Uh, and it's a it's a sad time. I mean, you know, spring on a college campus, there's, it doesn't get better than that. And our students, especially those who were planning to graduate, you know, there were so many last 
this and last that, uh, that they're just not going to get to experience now. Um, so, you know, one thing we're working on longer term is when it's safe to do so, we are going to reschedule our commencement and make sure that we still have an in-person commencement for our graduates. Well, there's a lot of discussion about online classes and Curious City reporter Monica Ng spoke with college students who are having to leave campus. Here's a student from Chicago's North Side who attends Tulane University in New Orleans. Um, it really sucked because I don't think the online classes will be nearly as effective as in-person classes. And I wish we were allowed to stay. I think even though even though classes are getting shut down, I would like to still stay in New Orleans to at least have the potential for one-on-one interaction with professors. Uh, I think online learning would still be worse, but it could be a little bit better if something like office hours was still a possibility for face-to-face contact. Robin, what are online course offerings looking like at, at U of I? Well, you know, it's uh, it's interesting you say that. We've uh, obviously we've got as many as many faculty as possible uh, doing that already. Uh, some who still need to move their courses over, or it's a little more difficult to do so, or still in the process of doing that. My nephew is actually upstairs in my house because I have better internet service than he does, and he is right now taking an acting class at the University of Illinois. Um, which I was going to go sit in, and, and but then uh, you wanted to talk, and so I'll, I'll go sit in on it uh, Thursday. But uh, so, so I mean, you know, classes that need to be live or being done live, classes that can be done asynchronously, they might offer that uh, option as well. They're trying to use all sorts of uh, alternative ways to deliver education, and it's not what we had planned. It's not what we had expected, uh, but the safety of our university community is, got to be the number one priority uh, but also delivering a world-class education is and so we're gonna we're gonna figure this all out and we're we're doing it uh you know every day you know one day at a time let's go to the phones we have hannah in the south loop now hannah you're a northern illinois university student what has this transition been like for you um like honestly it's been a little weird because i um have a creative writing class that i'm in And today we're going to be using Zoom to kind of conduct that online. And like like I said, it's kind of weird because it's a discussion-based class. So doing those discussions online and not really conducting them face-to-face with my peers, it's going to be kind of challenging, but I don't know. Are you finding other ways to stay connected to your friends on campus? Um, yes, we're we're using we're going to use Zoom and we're going to use Blackboard Collaborate to do these discussions. But it's just going to see fun, um, be fun to see how everything's going to be because it's all on the phone and not in class. Yeah, Anna, thanks for that call. Kate Kate McGee is on the line with us. She's WBEZ's education reporter. And Kate, you've spoken with many college and university students over the past week. What are you hearing from them, especially around this question of taking online classes? Yeah, so a lot of schools have done kind of extended spring breaks to help professors shift to online since many of them had never done this before um, and might need some help kind of making that transition. So some schools, students are still kind of waiting to ramp up. Other schools, one of them being Loyola University, has been doing online for um, maybe a week or so and, and this week as well. And for a lot of students, you know, they're 
kind of easily transitioning to the technology. Uh, They say that it's been pretty smooth shifting to Zoom as doing, you know, live online classes. Other professors who don't feel as comfortable with that are doing more recorded lectures, depending on discussion boards to have conversations. One thing I've heard, especially from um, community college uh, professors is that they're trying to make their classes as phone friendly as possible rather than just using a laptop since a lot of students don't have access to computers at their home and might need to be used, using their phones to do their work the rest of the semester. Well, and I wonder if that's one of the unintended consequences of the situation is that for some people, access to technology is on campus. And Robin, you talked about making sure students have access to the technology the technology they need to continue their education. But, but Kate, how are other colleges and universities responding to that? I think that uh, a lot of them are doing surveys with their, you know, teachers are sending out surveys to their students being like, what do you have access to? What would be easy for you? Could you do an online lecture or would a just like a recorded lecture or discussion board be better for you? And trying to let the students lead the conversation. Um, A lot of students and professors I've talked to have said that they've tried to do this together and be honest with their students that they've never done this before. This is new. We're kind of all transitioning together and being honest with them and hearing feedback about what would be best from the students uh, to try and make this as smooth as possible for the rest of the semester. Let's go back to the phones. We've got Sarah in Rogers Park. Now, Sarah, you're a DePaul University student. How has the transition been for you so far? Um, I don't totally mind the online aspect. The one thing that's affected me the most is I work in the service industry, and unfortunately, I won't be working right now. So I'm worried about paying tuition and the money that I've saved, I now have to live off of. Um, So that's like the big concern for me. The other thing is, you know, I was looking forward to my senior year. I actually signed up for this wine class and I waited since freshman year to take it. You get to do wine tastings. It's part of the hospitality school. And unfortunately, that has to be moved online. I'm not sure how that's going to work. So that's how it's affected me. And and are you finding that this change in, in, in your studies, that, that it's going to have any impact on your ability to graduate? Um, I don't think it will have an ability um, for me. Like, I think it'll be fine. It'll actually be a little bit more convenient for me. I'll be able to get another job once this blows over. So for me, it's actually working out to have more of my classes online. I'm just sad about the wine class being online instead of in person. Sarah, thanks so much for that call. Robin, what about students who are taking essential classes during this semester who classes that may not transition easily over to an online setting? Maybe it's a clinical class or something like that. How is your school addressing that? Well, uh, different ways for different types. For example, our engineering uh, courses, a lot of them that involve lab work, uh, maybe instead of having the students actually collect the data, they're finding data sets that that exist and having the students analyze the data instead. Um, As I mentioned, you know, you might have an acting class that's live and, um, you know, on Zoom so everybody can see everyone and uh, that sort of thing. So really it's, it's happening on a class-by-class basis with our technology um, services unit helping offer support and guidance. And, and obviously, I mean, our faculty are amazing and, and creative, and, and they're finding ways to, to make sure they can deliver uh, a, a really good education. Kate, as you've been reporting on this, what types of questions are you hearing from students most? A lot of students actually have um, questions about 
kind of how this semester is going to work out academically and how it's going to impact their futures. You know, a lot of students are, you know, planning to apply to medical school or law school and your grades in your undergraduate years really depend on, um, you know, being able to get into your next step in your education. And so wondering how schools are going to handle that if it's going to be noted in their transcript that this was an unusual year. Um, some schools have shifted into doing pass-fail instead of grades for a semester. That's also a not does not work for a lot of students, especially if they're a community college student and want to transfer to a four-year school. Four-year schools don't usually take a pass-fail class as credit. So how do you work with those students? So those are some of the questions that students are kind of waiting to hear about um, when it comes to the academic side of things. Well, let's go back to the phones. We've got Max in Highland Park. Max, you're a medical student at the University of Illinois. Uh, What's happening for you right now? Um, I think the administration has been doing a great job at shifting things over online, but there are certain things like, as you mentioned, clinical skills courses that can't really be moved online. Um, So it's been definitely a challenge not to be able to be with standardized patients, um, listening to each other's heart sounds, that kind of stuff. And and are are there any plans or thoughts around how they may be able to work around that? I think there's a good deal of flexibility in the curriculum scheduling um, that they've been telling us that things can be moved over uh, to different transition periods. But it's definitely doesn't feel the same since we're doing everything via uh, online recordings. Max, thanks so much for that call. Let's go to Tom in Arlington Heights. Now, Tom, you're a professor at DePaul. Uh, What has this transition been like for you? Um, Not terribly difficult at all. I think people are, and I'm trained to teach online, I've been doing it for five years. I think people are overly focused on and anxious about the challenges and overlooking the opportunities. For example, if I give a lecture in person, students have one opportunity to get material. If I post it, record it online, they can view it multiple times. Now you have to make it into shorter chunks for them to do that. If I have an in-class discussion, I'm lucky if a quarter to a third actually participate and usually a handful dominate. An online chat room, Everybody has to participate. Um, all the submission of papers, all the feedback is electronic. There's no problem there. And you can hold virtual office hours through any number of platforms. So with a little bit of creativity, I think both students and professors are going to find that there's a great deal of, of uh, things you can do in an online environment um, that will work extremely well. Not for all courses, as the medical student said, but for many. Now, Tom, you said you were, you were trained to teach online. Was it extensive training? Was it more about learning the technology, or or was there more to it than that? It was extremely extensive training. It was a 10-week program called DOTS, DePaul Online Teaching, that was not only gave us the tools technologically, but had us ask questions about, you know, how do we know what we're doing is really working? How do we go to, you know, um, different forms of assessment? Like, for example, people would say, if you have an open book quiz, they'll just look up the answer, and to which the instructor said, so what? What's the point? The point is to get them to do that. So you put in a lot of these low-value forms of assessment that get them to do, do this, and then the, uh, the other the more extensive things like papers and exams, even those can be open book, and I've found that the learning can be enhanced and that there really is uh, remarkably little, uh, you know, little overachieving. 
Tom, thanks so much for that call. You know, Robin, that that does raise an interesting point because part of what's happening in real time is as people are making this transition to online learning, they maybe haven't had this 10-week course that Tom had, but are there some opportunities here for uh, U of I and other institutions to think about how, how do we best prepare for a time when learning might have to shift off campus? Well, he, he's exactly right. I think... Um, we we need to really focus on what are the positives of alternative course deliveries, whether it's, you know, an online, synchronous, asynchronous, whatever. You know, what are some of the things, some of the ways that different students learn, and how can we blend all of these ways to make sure that we give each student the most tailored, richest, uh, most effective uh, approach going forward? So I think we're going to all learn a lot from this. Um, you know, social distancing, who knew what that was before, right? right. Most of us had never even heard that term. So I, I think going forward, once this is resolved and, and we get back to whatever the new normal is, I think you'll see lots of people uh, keeping a lot of the aspects of what we've had to do in this unprecedented situation and making sure that all the, the good things that we learn, that we incorporate those going forward. Kate, I want to talk about some students on, on campus who are, are vulnerable students who were asked to pack up and leave maybe didn't have a place to go. How are institutions in the state dealing with that? Well, a lot of universities are allowing um, students or have allowed students who don't have places to stay to remain uh, on campus if they don't have a home or maybe don't have a safe home to go to. Um, at the University of Chicago, I did a story last week where a lot of students were kind of scrambling to move off campus um, feeling overwhelmed, not really sure how to maybe find their own off-campus apartment. And the university's students actually banded together and created this group called UChicago Mutual Aid, where it was just a Facebook group where students came together and collected uh, food and maybe clothing or computers or any kind of resources students were needing, helped them find places to sublease for the rest of the semester. And it was kind of a feel-good kind of community story about how the students responded to help some of their more, more vulnerable classmates. You know, universities are also trying to do that as well. Um, but a lot of students really needed like practical step-by-step, -step, here's how you do this. Here's how you apply for an apartment. Here's how you find an apartment. Um, and so seeing students kind of band together to help more vulnerable classmates um, was kind of a positive story out of all of this. And what about for students who rely on jobs uh, on campus to help them pay for college, pay for, for housing? Uh, do we know if any allowances are being made for that? Some schools, um, and UChicago specifically, I was thinking about, um, are allowing students <clears throat> to, if they can work remotely, to continue working on their work-study jobs from home. Uh, UChicago said they would pay students who are not able to work remotely. They'll continue paying them through the, the rest of the year, school year, um, to make sure that they have that income that students rely on. And I think other schools are kind of taking it on a case-by-case -case basis to see how they can work with students who, you know, work-study is part of their financial aid package and students rely on that money to kind of get through the semester and trying to help students um, with that with that issue as it arises depending on what kind of work study class they're doing. Robin for many students this is an incredibly stressful time. So are there any online accommodations being made for students to talk with counselors at U of I? Yeah, absolutely. And we we as I mentioned earlier we actually are paying all of our student workers too. Um Kate's exactly right. 
their, um, you know, their federal work study, uh, that sort of thing. We don't want our students worrying about, you know, not carrying enough hours to get their financial aid or not working enough to get their financial aid or whatever. So uh, we are continuing all of that, even for our students who had to come home from study abroad, uh, making sure that it is seamless for them. And then we have uh, our counseling center has moved all sorts of resources online. Um, in fact, we just sent a, a note to our en entire campus pointing them to the website um, that has resources for, our, you know, the Counseling Center, the Student Assistance Center, Women's Resources, After Hours, Psychological Emergencies, Crisis Text Line, Emergency Dean. We just put as many resources there as we can. So no matter what somebody is feeling or needing, they can very quickly find it. And then, of course, People, uh, you know, as Kate was saying, a lot of people are working remotely, but they still are working. And so you can call and talk to a human being um, very quickly as well. Let's go back to the phones. We've got Glenn on the northwest side. Now, Glenn, Glenn you're a public school teacher. You're also the parent of a college student. What has this time been like for you and your family? Uh, well, uh, I have to say my students, I teach at Martin East High School in, in Cicero. And my students have been very resilient about you know the bumps that are going to happen as you transition to online learning but uh on the whole they've been great my daughter's having a tough time she's at u of i and it's uh pretty dead down there so she's pretty lonely and so how are you all connecting and, and supporting her right now uh lots of texts i've gotten very familiar with uh emojis <laughs> Sometimes an emoji will, will say what words can't. Glenn, thanks so much for that call. Uh, I want to play another piece of, of tape from Curious City reporter Monica Ng. She got from a student at U of I, and she talked to her early last week about her concerns about campus closing. This is Natalie. I think it's really important that they let people stay on campus because a lot of people are paying for their dorms and for their meal plan. So they're keeping their residence halls and, and dining halls open, which is really important because if they didn't, then I don't. they might have to reimburse everyone. I don't know what would happen. Um, and also we have a huge international student population who physically are not allowed to go home. So if the campus were to close, I have no idea where they would even go. Robin, is there a financial side of this that, that you're having to, to think through? Yeah huge financial side. And um, all of the students who uh, were able to go to their permanent homes who lived in our residence halls and, and other university housing, we are reimbursing them from March 14th, which was the start of spring break through the end of the semester. So both for their housing and their dining contracts. So, um, that, and that is no small amount. We are still calculating, but um, it, this is going to be very expensive for, you know, for every organization. And um, our students who work in restaurants, for example, are uh, you know, could be struggling uh, just to, you know, to, to have the money that they needed to, you know, buy food or, or help their families or whatever. Again, if they're staying in the residence hall, we know they're being fed. We've got thousands of students from uh, interna international students um, who aren't going to be able to go home mm -hmm. because borders are closed with their countries and they ha they're going to have visa issues. And, uh, and that's a real challenge, too. And so we're trying to figure out what do we do to have a place for them to stay over the summer and, and what if it's beyond that and how can we help them continue to make academic progress in this in this period um, and then you know uh, you talked about the high school uh, teacher the high school students who are trying to take the ACT or the SAT and and get their scores into us and um, who aren't sure should they go ahead and sign up to go to a, a 
you know, residential university. Um, you know, there are just so many things in the air and uh, summer programs and, and all of that sort of thing. It's, it is kind of never ending. You know, we've been working, many of us, you know, 12 plus hour days for almost three weeks now. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll put out some fire or two or five in one day and think, oh, great, go to sleep and tomorrow's going to be better. And you wake up and there, you know, 10 more have popped up. So, um, you know, we, we uh, have a, a very tight community and, you know, the University of Illinois, the flagship of the state of Illinois, uh, you know, we're very well resourced. We have amazing alums and donors and things. Um, but, you know, smaller schools and small businesses and the parents who work at small businesses or entrepreneurs and the students who are counting on, you know, working in a, a restaurant or a uh, you know, movie theater or something, it, you know, it just is affecting everybody in so many different ways. And we're trying to come up with as many solutions as we can. We keep, whenever we, we talk about, you know, how we're going to solve a problem, uh, you know, people will start throwing out ideas and we always say, yes, we need to do all of the above, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the answer is always E, all of the above. Robin, I'm also curious about whether your students are, concerned about racism or xenophobia amidst this crisis? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're hearing about that nationally. And and, um, so we really are trying to, in all of our messaging, to remind our community that we are a community. And, you know, although we have to be physically apart from each other right now, it's really a time we've got to come together. And that's the only way that as a nation we're going to get through this thing is by all coming together and, and realizing that, you know, we all depend on each other, and um, we can all help each other. And so we have been banging that drum pretty hard uh, over the past few weeks, and we will continue to do so. Kate, when we look statewide, how well prepared were universities and colleges uh, t- to respond to this health crisis? I think that it was a lot of scrambling for a lot of schools to do all of this so quickly. And then especially in conjunction with the, you know, state's orders. Um, You know, we saw a lot of schools saying that they were going to keep their dorms open and and their dining halls open. And then with the state shutdown having and the restaurant shutdown, having to limit their dining halls to just takeout. I'm thinking of you, Chicago did that, for instance. So it's a lot of kind of rolling with the punches, if you will, while also trying to help students um, manage this emotionally, their mental health, managing, shifting, you know, off to their back homes. Um, I think that a lot of them, you know, a lot of this, no one could really anticipate the big kind of ripple effect of all these different ways higher ed is impacted by uh, a decision to just shift offline within a matter of a week and a half. And what does this mean for the bottom line uh, for universities and colleges across the state? That's actually something I'm very curious about. You know, Illinois' higher education system has suffered over the past few years, you know, with a state budget impasse. We're seeing declining enrollments across the state. You know, U of I or, or a UIC might be in a better financial position than a smaller public university like a Chicago State or Governor State University. Um, how th- this hurts them, I think, um, could be really drastic. A lot of the higher ed funding in the governor's budget proposal before all of this happened was contingent on that graduated income tax passing this fall. How this helps or hurt that is, you know, we'll see. But I think schools will be extra dependent on that funding now, um, you know, 
Robin also mentioned the reimbursement of room and board or meal plans. You know, that's another hit that schools will have to take. Um, and I think those are, are things that schools are going to ha- we're going to see them tightening their belts once we get out of all of this to see where they, they land. And, and Robin, what conversations are you having at U of I Urbana-Champaign right now about what what future funding could look like and what it could mean for the university's bottom line? Well, uh, you know, we're at the point now where we're saying, what do we need to do to make sure our students are whole? What do we need to do to make sure our students, faculty, and staff are protected? What are we doing to make sure that our uh, faculty uh, are able to continue their research and their engagement and obviously their teaching? So um, the, our, our chancellor and provost have made very clear that right now is not the time to worry about money. Right now is the time to work the problem. Uh, but we are obviously tracking the expenses and um, we'll, we'll be collecting those and uh, you know and obviously it's in the millions and millions of dollars um, and and we'll figure out what we need to do going forward but right now uh, you know we have to make people whole um, we, we cannot uh, just let a, a, a whole class of students uh, lose a, an entire semester that you, you can't do that that's you know they, they, they trusted us their parents trusted us uh, the nation trusts us and the world trusts us. And so we, we got to make it right. And really quickly, just as we wrap up here, we know that we, we don't know when this is going to end. So are you already looking ahead to spring and summer and what that could look like under this, this new normal? Yep, absolutely. We'll have to make the call um, within the next week or so, probably on uh, summer programs and whether those will all, summer classes will all need to be uh, handled in an alternate uh, method as well. Um, and, and, you know, just summer camps and things like that. Can those things happen? Um, so, so, yeah, we're looking at everything. And, of course, our uh, athletics department is looking at the fall season. And, uh, you know, what's that going to look like? You know, we just we don't know how long life is going to be like this. And so I think everybody's making sort of short-term, medium-term, and long-term uh, plans. And we've been uh, trying to say what's the worst that could possibly happen, and let's plan for that, and then know that we can scale it back, as opposed to saying, gee, let's plan for the next two weeks and hope it goes great. Um, it seems a, a lot more prudent and responsible to, to plan for the worst and, and then be able to dial it back. And that's today's Reset. For the latest on COVID-19 in Chicago and beyond, go to wbez.org slash coronavirus. I'm Jen White. Stay safe, and let's talk again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.